As you progress, it is really important to continue increasing your prices based on your demand and the quality of your work. The importance of that is that when everybody tries to lowball each other, the entire community of artists suffer. So we want to bring everybody up and to do that each person has to play their part. In. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. What up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and this week's Gangstar creatives are husband and wife team Cynthia Santos and Benjamin Levy. They are the founders of Chalk and Brush, and they lead a team of artists and designers making custom handcrafted art and design accessible to brands and businesses of all shapes and sizes. Cynthia had a background in the arts and started the company back in 2013, and eventually her then-boyfriend, Ben, now husband, joined along as projects started to get larger and eventually left his career as a pediatric ER nurse to focus on the business full-time. They have painted countless murals for brands, public art projects, businesses, and are known for the popularity of their work across social media platforms. If you've been out and about in Miami, you've definitely seen their work. Their work has been featured by national brands like Starbucks, Spotify, Ford, Lululemon, and so many more. Their story is just so interesting and so inspiring, just how they got together and how they got into the business and how much they've grown the business. It's just been a really phenomenal journey to learn about. So I'm super excited to dive into this interview because we talk about pricing, we talk about hiring team members and what that looks like, uh, contracts, you know, some of their biggest mistakes. So this interview, you're going to be in for a treat and make sure you get your notes out and start taking them because you're going to learn a lot. So let's go ahead and just dive right on into the episode. All right, gang stars, I got an amazing team here. I have Cynthia Santos and Benjamin Levy. They're the husband-wife duo of Chalk and Brush. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Of course. Um, you know, I actually found you guys on TikTok and was really... Uh, happy to see all the content that you've been sharing as far as like all the behind the scenes of how you guys run your business. So I definitely had to reach out and have you guys on the show. Um, so of course, like with all my guests, I always have everybody start off by just kind of sharing a little bit about yourselves, you know, take us on a journey of who you are, where you started and where you are today. Um, sweet. We'll divvy that up into, uh, into two halves. <laughs> so Perfect. Started. Um, ben and I met in 2013. And uh, around that time, I was freelancing after losing my job in fashion. And um, I was just kind of uh, painting outside in Wynwood. And I happened to be approached by uh, two men who were designing a restaurant. And they were like, hey, like, can you do chalk lettering since you're, you're doing this? I was doing something completely different. But um, I just kind of lied. And I said, sure. And <laughs> did a little bit of training at home. And I lettered their menu. And this was 2013, so like if you take yourself back, this is when like mason jars, brick walls, like logos on walls and restaurants, they were just becoming a thing. Um, so I think I was just at the right place. And Dang. thanks to social media and all of that, it just sort of grew. Like I started getting requests for at first more chalk art and then hand-painted logos, hand-painted murals, just sort of evolved from there. 
around that time, I was dating Ben, who was working as a nurse in a pediatric ER. And um, he basically jumped on to help out and worked with me at the same time as he was working in the ER for a good couple of years. So I'll let him take up from here. Um, so yes, I was a, a registered nurse and I did pediatric ER trauma for 15 years. Uh, Cindy and I started dating, uh, like she explained how the business kind of started and it progressed to the point where she needed help. So I kind of jumped in uh, to help with like the paperwork, financials, things like that, but also on site. Um, and that just continued to grow completely organically through social media. Um, and for, for about four years, three years, we did it. I did it full time. So both jobs. And then it got to the point that um, as a business owner, you have to have both feet in. So th there comes that point where I had to make that decision of, you know, both feet into the business. So I, you know, I left my career, uh, both feet in and the business exploded from there. Wow. That's so crazy. Especially like, uh, like Cynthia, you had the original like creative background and then been coming from, you know, being in the ER is just, it's just so like a different night and day, I guess, daily routine for you. I would imagine having to make that jump, but I guess it was kind of a good transition because you were still working both jobs at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when he was working at the, at the ER, like I, I never saw him, he would work like 12 Aww. hour days and then go like work out in the afternoon. So by the time he got home, it was, it was like bedtime, you know? So um, it was like a different shift, especially for him, a big like culture shock, but it was awesome to get to spend more time together. Um, and a lot of his skills from the ER carry over really well to running a business. Like he's just really good at managing, you know, like managing crisis essentially. Yeah. And that's, I think that's probably a really great thing. Um, having that yin and yang in your partnership, you know, even for me and my husband, we operate a branding agency and I'm a creative, but I also have that knack for like operations and like being logistical and analytical and stuff at the same time. And my husband's more of like the big picture, like this is the ideas and I kind of help, you know, narrow that down and put it into an action plan or organize it in a way where it's like into flows and systems and things like that. So I think it's cool that you guys found each other and were able to kind of mesh your specialties and backgrounds together to create the business that you guys have now. No, I definitely think there is, you know, we both come from very big, different backgrounds in terms of just the structure, you know, with our, it's a lot more free form. Uh, whereas what I come from is very regimented and you follow oh, yeah. a very specific steps. Um, so it, like I said, it did help transition like the business part of it because of kind of that knowing where to go, not as a business, but just in terms of like managing crisis, as she said. Um, and I think, I think it was a huge help because it, it helped with the structure. Yeah. Sometimes I still have to remind them, like when things are going wrong, like, Hey, nobody's going to die here. <laughs> like the worst <laughs> that's going to happen is a mural is going to be a day late or something, but like the stakes are different. Yeah, for sure. So was there like a, a specific project that kind of catapulted like that moment and turning point for you guys for you both to go all in and like make this the the full-time thing for both of you or like a turning point where you felt like most successful in your career yeah I mean I think it was a, a little bit of both we had just started or we had been working I want to say with Starbucks for a little bit over a year so that was one of the things where it's like we were working non-stop with this national brand and we had to travel a lot so time-wise it just 
it never worked out because he would work let's say he would work like six days in a row and then we would paint for like a couple days in a row so it time-wise that wasn't working and then we were just receiving a lot more requests and, and when we sat down and did the math I mean nurses make great money but we were climbing to this point where we were just making more um together and it was it was really scary um but making that decision once we did it it we couldn't imagine have that like that we ever worked without doing that you know what I mean like it was hard to see mm -hmm. how we ever made it work in the past <laughs> I know a lot of creatives kind of struggle with that decision of like how do I know I'm ready to you know make that jump into leaving my job and uh going full-time did you guys like have a specific plan in place or like a set amount of like you're like I need to have this amount of money set aside or this type of security or was it just kind of like you know we're tired of having this schedule and like we just need to go all in and jump in and, and do this thing because this is what is gonna you know be better for us or was um, it a combination we, <laughs> we, we would have liked to have had a plan but I think the business was growing organically and it just kept climbing. Um, and I definitely think that. Uh, yeah, it wasn't so much like having an amount or anything like that. That's definitely what we were thinking. Like, that's what we wanted. <laughs> but it just got to the point where we were getting in our own way. Like we, we were costing ourselves money. We were costing ourselves like connections and time. And I, we probably waited too long, to be honest. Um, mm. Gotcha. Uh, and I, I do agree that we waited too long, but I mean, that's, it is also a really hard transition, you know, to go from, you know, what I was doing for 15 years and leave that for a completely different field. <laughs> There's a, you know, it's, it's a step, it's definitely a stepping off point where you have to, you know, just have faith that it's going to work. And yeah, he really misses it. He loves what he did. So he does miss nursing. Aww. We also, we have a son. So there was, there was a lot at stake. I mean, I think we were really lucky in that one of us could continue to make income while the other one, like while I focus more on sort of big picture building the business. I think that that's definitely a privilege that not everybody has. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, once we did it, there was just no other way. So how do you guys get your clients and customers and your, your projects books? You, I see that you have a plethora of different projects typically, you know, in the pipeline and working simultaneously. So I'm curious as to like what you guys do now to get your, your clients and projects booked um, versus like how it was, I guess, in the beginning, if there's any differentiation. Yeah, in the beginning, it was very like a little bit of Instagram and a lot of word of mouth. Um, like we got a lot of work in the beginning just by like being out there working and somebody just walking by and like being like, hey, can you do this for me? Or one of our clients recommending us. Social media played a huge role. I mean, um, Instagram was like our major breadwinner for a while. And now, I mean, you found us through TikTok and that's definitely what we're shifting to. It's so much cooler to be able to show our process. We can show so many things that we couldn't before. Um, mm -hmm. We do a little bit of outreach. So we do have like a presentation that, you know, explains who we are, what we do, why we do it. And we do send that out periodically. Um, but I would say a lot of our business is mainly social media, word of mouth and us signing everything, right? Like we're, we put our name on anything we can possibly put our name on. And anytime that you give us an opportunity to talk about the business, like we're going to bring it up. Gotcha. And so um, you said you do limited outreach. Do you guys ever do like any marketing or advertising or anything like that? Or is it mostly just 
like social media and word of mouth? Um, we've tried small like Google ad campaigns or, or um, even on social media doing like the promoted stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But really, it's just none of that has really brought any significant return. Um, so what we found is other than like word of mouth, like Sam was saying, is the content we've, that we produce, obviously the, the art that we produce, but the content that goes into making that and being able to for sin to be able to create these like TikTok videos that go viral. And really it's just, it is literally an in-house process where her and I are running the business while doing this and her making TikToks that are crucial to stay in that and up to date with media, you know, we're sort of doing all of those things. Yeah, I mean, because with the numbers that we get on TikTok, like there's no advertisement that we could possibly <laughs> afford that could get us millions. I mean, there, there's no way. Um, but yeah, I think documenting our progress on social media has been has been really important. People care a lot more about a photo of somebody painting than a photo of what they painted, like if that makes any sense. Mm, that's good. And I think I've found that too. Like people are so interested in the process and like how you do things, whether it's like a potential client, like that isn't um, or people that aren't creatives and even like the creatives too, because they want to know like, how did you get that job? Or like, how did you do that? Or what tools did you use, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I, that's something that I'm learning, especially with TikTok too, because the vi- virality of it is just so much easier I found than like on Instagram or Facebook or other platforms. Yeah, those definitely garner a lot of work. Um, but one of the other things that we do is when Sin talks about outreach, it's a lot of like, in, in sales, like cold calls. Essentially, that's what I'm doing mm-hmm. is uh, reaching out to these businesses and sort of introducing ourselves and, hey, you know, sending our pitch deck over. And uh, if you ever need our help, you know, let us know. And just doing that with as many large scale companies as we can. I mean, right now we're looking at development firms. So it's basically like getting their numbers and sending those out and then following up. There you go. And and definitely for everybody listening, the, the magic's in the follow-up. You can't just send one outreach or cold email or cold call and expect, you know, an immediate response. A lot of times the magic happens after the second or third follow-up too. And I'm sure you guys find that the same. Yeah, definitely. We, um, overkill is never a bad thing. <laughs> Hmm. Yes, definitely. So when somebody hires you guys, what's your process once you get hired for, you know, uh, one of your services, like say you're um, like a mural and then, you know, how long does that process take before getting hired and the whole prepping of it and actually doing it? Uh, yeah. So we work as a team, right? We have a team, our team fluctuates between like six and nine people because some people are just sort of like a uh, you know, they come in and paint, but they're like trade painters. So our process has been scaled for us to be able to work as a team of multiples. Back when it was Ben and I, I mean, our process was just like answering emails as they came and we would write out in our van and go paint. But now um, our process has been written down, tested, tried, locked up. Um, we <laughs> edit it as we need to. So basically when a client reaches out to us, we have an assistant. Um, Ideally, they would have reached out through our website, which already has a couple of questions, and that saves us a good amount of time in trying to find out, like, wall size, location, due date, ideally budget. Um, But our assistant will ask a couple more exploratory questions and then probably set up a Zoom call 
um, so that they can meet us. We can probably show them our pitch deck. We can discuss some ideas. Um, after that, Ben and I put a proposal together. Our proposal um, already exists, right? So it's just like a template and we just have to add like a little mood board. You know, we judge it up depending on, on the client, the size of the client. We might give them pricing options. Um, and that's about it. Our proposal also really clearly outlines our contract. We're very big on like boundaries and on respecting our process and mm -hmm. making sure that clients know from the very beginning, like this is our process and we're gonna respect it. After we have a phone call with them, we'll send them our proposal. Once that's done, they're gonna get a contract, which is important and has saved our lives in so many different occasions. So the contract goes mm -hmm. over everything from scope to like who owns the artwork to when we're gonna be there, what we need, right? Like we need water, we need power, um, deliverables, uh, social media posting, like everything is in there. And that contract changes every time we uh, learn a new and hard lesson. Um, <laughs> As it should. <laughs> yeah. So once that's done, that's when we're officially working together and then we'll have a design meeting. And that is the first time that I will design for this client. So up until now, they have not seen any work from me that pertains to their brand. Um, they'll get over a couple of design renderings. We go through two rounds of edits. Uh, we usually have never, I don't think, gone over the two rounds, but we would go into hourly if that happens. And then once we have a design finished and only when we have the design finished will we schedule our on-site date. So our assistant will reach back out and they'll be like, hey, amazing, we're about to go paint. Here's everything we need. We need somebody to let us in. Um, and then the painting part is uh, surprisingly, you know, the easiest part. <laughs> about a week, we document everything, uh, collect, and then we follow up to make sure that the client shared our work on social media to ask them how they feel, how everybody's reacting to it. Um, but yeah, that is it in a nutshell. Like, does it always go that smoothly? Not every time, <laughs> but it works pretty well. Wow, that sounds like a really good, um, it sounds like a really good smooth process. Obviously hiccups happen along the way. And I think that's something really important for um, the gang stars listening right now is to know that like, as a creative and when you first start operating business, you kind of just say yes, you can kind of go with the flow, but as you start getting more clients and even the sooner, the better, even if you're just starting out and you're not getting that many clients, like the sooner you can come up with a process and flow, like the, the easier it's going to get for you um, to create the work and get more jobs. And it's also helps you become more confident too, as a creative business owner, because you know exactly what you need to do and your client knows exactly what to do and what to expect from you. So I love that you guys have been able to really nail that down. Yeah, it definitely took years of, you know, finding out the hard way each step of the way. I, I would say for any creative starting, definitely, like you said, get their process together. And then from there, I would say, work on getting a, a contract, even if it's a simple basic starter contract, it is critically important because when you're starting out and you have really no reputation, that is the easiest time for, you know, sometimes people who, you know, who aren't necessarily honest, you know, take advantage. And without that sort of protection, you know, you're, there's no, there's no recourse there. 
Yeah, one of one of the first times Ben ever came to work with me was because somebody just like wasn't wasn't paying me. Like I, I finished a job mm. and they were like, okay, cool. Like I'll, I'll pay you when I pay you. And <laughs> all been there. I had nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I had like I had nothing. So he had to show up and be like, you know, yo, where's our money? Um, but there's been so many other things that we've had to add in there. Like what what happens if somebody's being disrespectful and we have to leave a project? Like. Um, just so many things that you you would never even think of or or if the scope is increased a lot of times when it comes to creative work as I'm sure you know clients don't necessarily think that like more art equals more money right like if we're gonna have a phrase and now you want a second phrase they're like but you're already pushing Mm -hmm. the magic button that puts the phrase on the wall um so learning to treat our work as a product has been like difficult but necessary have you had to, so you just mentioned like having to put in a clause about, you know, like what, it, what happens if like they're disrespectful and you have to leave the pro- uh, project and even, you know, adding on um, invoices and so forth. How do you navigate those situations in those conversations? So we've developed the contract to the point where we've pretty much covered everything, but it really depends on what that response is. So, you know, we have clients who um, will challenge us on certain things. Obviously, when we finish a project, we allow them to look the work over, at, ask for any revisions that they need. Um, but that next step of getting the payment, that's where things get gray, uh, I'm sure for everybody. Um, but it is really just sort of making sure that we have that contract signed and being polite about it. But, you know, hey, this is your project is due. You know, please, you know, pay your invoice. From there, you know, are there issues where it's going to have to go further than that? Yes, unfortunately. Um, but I definitely think people should be prepared for it, even in like the mental space of this could happen. So I should have an idea of what I should do. Yeah, for the most part, as long as you're upfront and honest about everything from the beginning and, and everybody, they see your contract from the beginning, you shouldn't have any problems. Um, but we've definitely had to, like, we have had to pull out of a project before and we didn't have any exit clause in our contract. So we did lose like the second half of our payment because we just, we were, we decided not to go back in there. And the client was in their right to say like, you didn't finish your scope. So I'm not gonna pay you. Um, aside Do you from mind that, sharing I mean, that story yeah. of what happened? Like what made you guys? Yeah. So it was early pandemic and uh, we had been booked for a job. Where, where is it? In Connecticut. So usually when we do travel jobs, uh, Ben and or I or Kat or like a combination will fly out. But this was like early pandemic. They had just shut everything down. Um, in our contract, it does specify like Ben and I don't paint everything. So we, we could bring in somebody from our team. We could subcontract somebody out depending on who's best for your particular project. So we had found an artist up there. Her name was Jamie. Amazing work. We're still uh, good friends with her. I mean, I would hire her for my team. It's just clean, beautiful, colorful, amazing work. She went in there, started to paint the mural that we designed. The client was upset from the beginning because they wanted Ben and I to be there. And they didn't care that the entire country had just been shut down. Um, <laughs> and again, this is the very beginning where like nobody knew anything. So we, we couldn't yeah. go, the quarantines were in place. Um, so from the minute she starts painting, they start giving her issues. Um, nobody's wearing a mask in this very small restaurant that we were told was closed. People are coughing near her and um, crowding up on her with no mask. So we asked several times of the client, like, hey, we, 
we can't have her in here if people are unmasked they need to, you know what I mean like and they just were mm-hmm. not cooperating and getting very difficult um so at the end of the day we finished their mural we finished everything that was inside of their shop but there was mm-hmm. one third piece which was a hand lettered surfboard um and we were just like you know what you guys are being very disrespectful like this is this is no longer a good creative partnership so respectfully we're going to pull out of the project because we hadn't delivered the surfboard, we lost the second half of the payment for both the mural and the logo that we had painted in there. And again, our contract essentially said nothing to protect us. Now, if we pull out of the contract, there, there is still a percentage of the fee that is owed to us. And um, that's something that clients have to agree to and sign before we work with them. Boom. I love that you guys added that in there. And that sucks that <laughs> you know, that had to happen, especially with you guys not being there, like having, you know, that happened to somebody that you outsourced to is like even more of a headache. Oh, absolutely. And um, I definitely think that in, in that part of the contract, if you're writing both of those things, you also put in something that protects the client. And that's something during that phase where you explain to the client, this protects both of us because there's a clause here that if we pull out, we will prorate whatever we owe you. Or if you pull out, we have a, a kill fee. So they would have to, you know, pay us a kill fee because they're canceling the project. And a lot of big clients will send you their own contract. And what their contract looks like is basically you're working for hire and everything that you create, including mock-ups that they don't choose would belong to them. So like most major brands would will send you one of these, but you're able to say, hey, no, actually this is my contract and I need these paragraphs added to yours. So just because somebody else has a contract that conflicts with your contract doesn't mean that you just have to automatically agree to their terms, especially if their terms are horrible for creatives. Mm, I love that. Um, and man, I just always wish that there, that was something in like these contract terms and even like the whole term of like work for hire, like they taught this to creatives in art school or like it's out there a lot more. I know a lot of other creatives like yourself um, and myself are like sharing these sorts of things with creatives, but we all have to, a lot of times learn the hard way. Um, but it's really cool that you guys, you know, learn the way that you did and you have those uh, pieces in the contract and you're sharing that today with us. Hey gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're gonna wanna take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. So you guys said you had a, a team. Um, and so I'm curious to know when was like the moment that you guys decided that you, you know, needed to hire people? Um, what made you hire somebody? And then do you have any tips for the hiring process and managing process and things like that when it comes to bringing people on to work for you? So we started working with other people pretty early on, but more, um, the setup was more like, you know, this is our friend who's also good at art and they're going to come help us, right? So from the very beginning, we were fortunate enough to get like full restaurant jobs where we were doing a chalkboard, a mural, a hand-painted logo, and it couldn't be just us. So Mm -hmm. that's how we initially started. Um, 
right around 2018, right after we got married, um, again, our work just thankfully was steadily growing. So we brought in our first employee. She was just initially like a per diem. She was going to help us with chalkboards here and there. Her name's Kat and she's still working with us now. And oh, um, cool. yeah, little by little after that, we just, as we needed it, everything in our company has been very organic. So once I needed help with design, I was like, okay, cool. It's time to bring in a designer. Once our emails were piling up, we are like, okay, cool. It's, it's time to bring in an assistant. Um, it's definitely difficult, especially for somebody like me, like Ben is very used to working with and managing a team. I was the one in school who would like do the school project, the group project by herself. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So like constantly being around people and managing people on different personalities has been a learning curve. I will definitely say mm. for a creative business or a small business like ours, you definitely have to really vibe and be able to work with those people for, for long amounts of time. And I think everybody in the team now is just awesome. Everybody works together really well. Um, I feel like we're like this like lovable little band of misfits and everybody just gets along and supports each other. But it was a while to get here. It was a lot of trial and error. And mm -hmm. I think you just have to be just like with clients, open, honest, and upfront um, about you know, your feelings and your direction, because these are people's lives and their salaries and, and stuff. So you guys have um, full-time employees and part-time employees or just full-time or just part-time? Yeah, um, mostly full-time. Everybody, the oh, that's awesome. four to five days a week. There are two of our painters who are also scenic artists. So a lot of times they'll take some time off to work on theater productions and stuff like that. But everybody else works full time. My little sister uh, lives in Mexico and just graduated design school. So she's like my design assistant. I have her do all of our measurements Aww. and really boring work. Um, she's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, everybody's pretty much with us full time. Um, and that's one of the benefits that we offer our clients is like oftentimes when you work with an artist, unfortunately, that artist does have, you know, a second job. Maybe they can only come in to paint at like 9 p.m. So that is a right. benefit that we offer is our, our team is our team and uh, we are readily available to work because this is all that we do. Wow, that's awesome. Congrats, you guys. I've, you know, we've been, we don't have um, full-time or part-time employees, but we kind of went down that road. Um, but we have like contractors and stuff that we yeah uh, outsource to, but that's, I just know like how challenging that can be and how rewarding that is too. So definitely want to give you guys a big hand clap for that, especially being able to, you know, employ creatives and give them an amazing opportunity and job, you know, to come in and paint murals and, you know, work under uh, great leadership. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, if this job had existed when I was in my early 20s, I would have done anything possible to work for us. Right. For real. Another reason we had to like um, sort of go all in on the employees is clients were so used to me and Ben and they were so used to like us mm -hmm. and our stories and our photos that we had to uh, make that decision to really feature everybody and let everybody shine and and show off our team and how proud of them we are so that clients now realize it's not just Ben and Cynthia Ben and Cynthia are growing their business just like I'm growing my restaurant and I'm not making every like pizza that we sell they're not mm -hmm. either gotcha um so how do you guys go about pricing your services this is obviously a big question that many creatives always have all creatives I found in all different industries go do this differently um so I'm curious 
to how you guys go about this um, and what tips you have for the creatives listening. So we, we always start by telling them that we price based on size and complexity. So that's kind of one of the first things to establish is what, what is the, the client wants? Do they want a hand-painted logo? Do they want a mural? Um, how big is the wall? So we ask all these questions up front, you know, send us pictures of the wall, the texture, then we get on a design call with them and go through all this with them, learn about them, learn about their business, and mostly learn what they need to get from this mural. So is this just a piece of art for people to look at, or is this something you need them to engage with for social media? So we, we try to get those, um, those sort of parameters down. Um, and from there, we basically price, uh, price based on square footage. Uh, that, that is kind of the general thing that we do. There's different things here and there that, that are different you when know, you do mixed media, media stuff, but for the most part, it's square footage. Mm, yeah, gotcha. and that does vary depending on logistics. Like if we have to go really high, that, that price is gonna change. If the wall is like brick, you know, if we show up, we thought we were painting a smooth wall and now we're painting like a wood cladded wall or something like that, uh. like that would definitely, <laughs> it's happened. That would definitely affect our price. Um, as well as like, you know, due dates, red flags, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, so what did the, I guess, what did like the pricing for square footage look like when you guys were early on in your business versus what it looks like now, if you guys don't mind sharing, I'm definitely big on pricing transparency, transparency um, in the creative world. So do you guys mind sharing the, those numbers yeah. or like the range? No. So it's a little embarrassing, but in the beginning, I don't think we took square footage into account at all. Since we were doing more sign painting and chalkboards, I think it was more like we had this sort of little guide and and we would base it off of like what we've charged for other similar things. Um, And once we got into larger murals, that's when we really started thinking about square footage. So our average, I want to say, is like 50, 75 ish. We'll definitely go lower for like really high, you know, when we're like in the thousands of square foot, like obviously Mm -hmm. we have to sort of adjust that a little bit. Um, But in those projects, we'll also adjust um, our complexity. So, and then for very small little murals, we obviously raise to like around a hundred or maybe even more per square foot because we do have like a minimum for us to just, you know, get in there, set up, do all of the design and back end work that it takes. yeah we definitely (laughs) do our best to work with everybody's budgets uh we don't like to give big discounts what we do is if somebody can't work with our budget we'll ask you know what is your budget and we can tailor the art um to meet their needs like there's always things that we can do to make a mural seem more mural but it's really just base coding with some text in the middle um we can make all of that work without devaluing ourselves Gotcha. And I think that's really important to note too. Like, it's really good to know, obviously what the client's budget is and kind of working with them. Cause sometimes when people hear, you know, the numbers, a quote, or even the price of square footage, you're like, Oh, this is like totally out of my budget. And then it's like, well, what is your budget? Like, maybe I can still, you know, provide something that can still work for you guys within that budget. Um, but I think some creatives might just take that. Oh, like, Whoa, no. And like run away and be like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't like to, we don't like to ask them for their budget right off the bat because that it deprives us of the opportunity to be able to upsell different options. Like maybe they thought they wanted this and they had this budget, but now that they've seen our proposal and they've seen how great a lettering mural might look in their lobby, they might be willing to increase that Mm -hmm. budget. 
So we don't want to like box ourselves in, but we do always follow up and say, hey, if there's anything that we can do to make this work, let's do it. Gotcha. So for you guys, you you really base your proposal and quote based off of um, what they're looking for. And like and then you evaluate what you can provide for them and kind of sell them on different aspects. And then is it like basically what it basically ends on is, okay, like we like this, these three things that you guys basically propose to us um, and the rest is like out of our budget. And then you guys kind of go from there. That makes yeah, sense. Pretty How much breaking that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some clients will come to us as I'm sure, you know, and they know exactly what they want. Like they want like a mural of a sunset and then there's no need to give them options in that respect. But if somebody just comes to us and they're like, Hey, I have, you know, this office lobby, I need a mural. I'm not sure. Just show me, you know, a couple of ideas. Then our proposal might go over like, what does an abstract mural look like? And what would we charge for that? What does a lettering mural look like? And what would we charge for that? Because that's obviously a totally different skill set. Um, mm. So yeah, it always helps whenever you're not sure to give options and, and that carries over to design and just makes our job easier. If we, if we know from the beginning, at least like the realm of what we're doing, what we never want to do is just take shots in the dark and be like, hey, do you like yeah. this? <laughs> for sure because that, that definitely wastes your time too which time is valuable and you can't get back yep so so you said basically right now you charge between 50 to um a hundred dollars per square foot which is freaking awesome um that's the highest that I've heard which I love and congrats to you guys being able to build that prestige um in portfolio and just build your business to we're able to charge that today because that's really awesome um and i think for any, anybody listening uh why i really like pri- price transparency is just because you know a lot of people don't know what people are charging and then like hearing numbers like that is definitely inspirational and empowering because then a person i hope that somebody listening is just like wow like i can actually make a lot of money you know doing murals i didn't even know that that was even a possibility or i didn't even know you know people at the you know, your level of the market um, is even charging that much. And that's something that I want to work to or aspire to. Yeah, I definitely agree that this transparency is necessary. And it's for a couple of reasons. For an artist starting out, you know, getting your, your process down, you also have to work on your pricing, figuring out how long is this going to take me? How much pain is it going to require to start building a basic idea of what it's going to cost? and try to find out like in your area about what do other mirrorless charge. And then what you wanna do is make sure that you're, you're in that range and the less work you have to show in the portfolio, the lower you are in that range. But as you progress, it is really important to continue increasing your prices based on your demand and the quality of your work. The importance of that is that when everybody tries to lowball each other, the entire community of artists suffer. So we want to bring mm-hmm. everybody up and to do that, each person has to play their part in bringing us all up. Yeah, we're in Miami. So Miami is an expensive city and has a really, really big mural industry. So in the beginning, what we noticed is that we were we were undercharging and yeah, we were getting all of these jobs because we were undercharging our friends. Um, so that's we gradually I, I want to say we went from like 15 to 20-ish to 35. It's, it's a gradual shift and we don't charge 50 for every, you know, mural, but that mm-hmm. is our goal. And that's like our, our median that we just sort of go up and down from. 
Mm, I love that. Um, do you guys mind sharing like what's the biggest budget that you guys got to work with so far? Uh, yeah. So our biggest project, uh, first I'll tell you how we got it. So we, um, so we're in Miami, West Palm Beach is like an area that's like, I want to say two hours up from us. So we did a little chalkboard there for like a, a shake stand, right? It was called a shake, like a, a shack or something. Um, and that client was like, I love you guys. I got something really big for you in the future. And I, I'm sure, you know, everyone says that to you. So you're just like, cool, whatever, dude. Um, and like <laughs> two years later, he came back with five blocks worth of murals for this upscale shopping center. Um, wow. And it all went to us and it was our first um, six figure project. Um, and wow. obviously it was a big deal. It was life changing for, for us personally, for our business. We were able to grow a team, you know, a little quicker, invest in more equipment, training, um, Obviously, that job led to other similar cool jobs. Um, so yeah, that was our biggest job, and it came from one of our smallest jobs. So while I definitely don't think that you should be giving discounts based on like the promise of future work, I think you should always <laughs> be professional and do your best. Yeah, wow, that's that's so awesome that that worked out in that way. Because you know, I feel like it can be really defeating as artists as you continuously hear that line, and then you know, typically nothing comes from it um and then to hear your story it's pretty cool yeah definitely a good tip with that is when you're talking to a client you know talking about discounts what we typically tell them is like you know you're saying you have all these future projects that's awesome as we get to those projects we can continue to extend discounts throughout that process mm. Mm, that's good um, i love that yeah, yeah, the other thing is is to, you know, not always say definitely. If someone asks for a discount, you know, don't say definitely. Just kind of work with them and figure out what where you're going with that. Again, it all comes back to having that conversation and just meeting in the middle and seeing how you 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 can serve your client and obviously um, have it serve you too, where you're not, you know, dishing out things or undervaluing yourself either. Yeah, for sure. No, you never want to do that. Um, you had just mentioned, Cynthia, like you, uh, when you got that project and like you guys got to, you know, hire a team and you got to invest in training. I even saw in your your bio that uh, you said, it says like you invested in professional training to grow your skills. What was that training that you guys invested in um, and what did that look like and why did you choose to do that? Yeah, so originally all of our lettering, everything that we learned, we taught ourselves. So I learned sign painting. I had seen sign painting when I was little in Cuba, um, but I had never officially been taught it. So we just sort of researched at first all of the materials, methods, and just we not winged it because we were doing a lot of work, but we taught ourselves. And once we could afford it, we worked with Mike Myers from Better Letters. Uh, he is an OG sign painter. He's amazing. He's like the coolest dude ever. He's been sign painting since he was 11 in like the 60s. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and he just goes around and does workshops and you know has a great life. So we learned a lot of more like concrete techniques from him. Um, He's worked with us now in a lot of other projects, which is super cool. But yeah, uh, just sort of having him cement our process made us feel a lot more confident. And like we can actually say we are we are classically trained sign painters because not everybody 
second letter like just because you have a brush mm -hmm. and you can paint a letter that's not necessarily um you know like learning the trade changes a lot we also have been able to like ask for help so um I have a good friend who uh, we met just doing work for them. She used to buy off of me from Etsy and then uh, I helped her with like her logo for her business. But her husband happens to be the VP of like a very big marketing company down here. And at one point we just were like, hey, we need help. Like we have this business, this business is growing, but we don't know what we're doing. And they were kind enough to put together a team to sort of show us Hey, this is how we make proposals. This is how we pitch to HBO. <laughs> like, this is how we pitch to mm. Supercon. And that experience was invaluable in creating the pitch deck and proposal that we have now, or at least that style. And uh, in changing how we talk about ourselves, they were the ones who were like, when in doubt, overkill. Like, you can never over, you can never talk about your value enough. Um, so I think that like finding identifying somebody that you feel comfortable asking for help and asking for help um, is a big deal and it doesn't necessarily have to cost you money. Mm, I love that. And I, I'm glad that I asked that because some people don't think about investing in those different things that you want to get good at, whether it's, you know, in your craft or even on the business side of things. Um, and people, some people don't know that you can invest in like coaching right. or trainings or things like that. And so for anybody listening, like if there's, you know, something that you're not really great at, but you want to improve your skills at, whether it's business or your craft, you can always, you know, seek out an expert in that field. Um, and you can make a big or small investment, uh, depending on who they are and how they want to help you. And sometimes people will just help you for free. So definitely asking for help is a very important um, thing to do along the journey of, of building your business. Yeah, for sure. When you guys work with um, big companies, how do you guys even land those companies in the first place? Um, is it, was it was it like the the training that you got that really started, you know? No. Uh, no, so by the time or... we got training, we had already, we, we did that training, I want to say 2018. So we had already been working for a good like five years. Um, mm. No, honestly, we've just been really fortunate and put ourselves out there. And uh, those brands have reached out. Brands do actively look right for artists, um, muralists, especially to partner with. So um, the first brand we worked with was Jack Daniels. They reached out to us to uh, do a pop-up in Winwood. So it was a lot of sign painting for, uh, for their sort of this just like pop-up store that they were putting up. Starbucks happens to have a design studio right here in Coral Gables where we live. Nobody knows it's there, but it's there. And um, they walked into a restaurant that Ben and I painted our first ever $500 logo for <laughs> together. And, uh, <laughs> I painted that logo literally because I wanted to get a tattoo and didn't have money. And um, a Starbucks designer walked into that restaurant, asked, you know, who did this? And the people there, because we had established relationships with them, pointed them our way. Uh, Spotify, again, just reached out to us. Um, we've gotten a couple of jobs through a mural agency. We don't necessarily, we're not like partnered with them, but they do have us in their roster and they they pair up brands with murals. So we've gotten to work with uh, Shake Shack through them. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, all of those brands have just reached out because we, again, have put ourselves out there. Hmm. Gotcha. So I guess the biggest tip that you would give to someone listening that wants to work with the bigger brands is just continuously put yourself out there. Um, any other tips to add on to that as far as like what these big clients look for? 
So a lot of times when companies are looking out to artists for a collaboration, they care more about the story of that collaboration than the actual piece itself. Not to say that the piece doesn't have to be amazing, but a lot of times when you're partnering, for example, I worked with Lexus on a holiday campaign. What they want to do is there's always like some element of, of press or like a backstory. So for me, for example, I'm Cuban. Um, I was born in Cuba and I work here in Miami. So a lot of brands, whenever they have activations here in Miami, they really want to reach out and connect with like the Latin market, the local market. So my backstory becomes really important. Um, also the fact that I can insert some little details, again, from our local market and from my backstory into those murals, um, which in turn connects with the community, that's really important to them. So I would say on top of making sure that you are super visible, that you have a great just little pitch deck presentation about yourself, um, making it personal, like not being afraid to talk about your story um, on social media, in meetings, not being afraid to be yourself, because again, they're going to care a lot more about you than mm -hmm. about the actual work. Um, as well as obviously like being knowledgeable about whatever brands, if you do have a meeting, uh, please be knowledgeable about the brand that you're meeting with, what their artwork looks like, what other projects they've done before. Um, and if you are just like a one person team, make sure that you talk yourself up in a way that, that they see that you can handle it. You know what I mean? Like don't go in there being like, oh, I'm just, you know, little old me because you can do it. At the end of the day, working for Spotify is no different from working for a local coffee shop, you're still going to be working directly with a person, right? You're not having a meeting yeah. with like a floating Spotify logo. There's just their design <laughs> team. They have dogs and cats and, uh, you know, they're just normal people. So just be, be normal, connect, be a person and just make it very personal. Mm, that I think that's good gold nuggets right there for the Gangstar Creative listeners to take in. Um, you working with Ben, a lot of people want to work with the partners or if they do, it doesn't work out. I mean, and I, I work with my husband, so I know um, what that's like. So I'm curious to know from your guys' point of view, you know, what's it like working as a couple? Um, and do you have any tips for people listening that want to work with their significant other? Yeah, so it works out great for us. Um, that being said, I don't think it's for everyone. And I think it definitely has its challenges. Uh, something that we had to learn to do very early on was establish boundaries, like even between ourselves, like who is in charge of what, right? Who does what so that we're not stepping on each other's toes, but still helping each other out with everything that we need. Um, what times are we working, right? Because you don't want to be in bed mm -hmm. talking about a pizza mm -hmm. restaurant that you have to design for. Um, and just taking time off and making sure that like our personal time is our personal time and our business time is our business time. Now, just like our process, like, is it always that smooth? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we've had eight years of learning um, how to work around that. And I think even mm -hmm. like today, right? Like knowing to take turns when talking on, a, on an interview or, or with a client meeting and just like bouncing off of each other. Um, but definitely I think boundaries, boundaries are the most important thing. Mm, I love that. And I definitely second that girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I feel like, you know, even for us, like in the beginning, you just got to learn to get to that point. And I feel yeah. like a lot of it does come down to just like boundaries, 
setting out roles and then obviously, you know, making sure that you're able to turn off when you can. And that was something, you know, that my husband struggled with more than I did, but then we kind of got to that, that point where it's like, okay, this is how it needs to be. And then everything's a lot more smooth sailing when you guys can set those boundaries and set those, um, those, those, those rules and those roles. (laughs) Yeah. In the beginning, it's awesome because you just wake up. And if you were finishing a project the night before you're, she's right there next to each other, but that, that gets old Mm -hmm. quick. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, And I know we're coming up on time. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, Is there a specific business resource that you guys love or swear by or recommend to um, anybody, whether it's like a software or an app or just anything that comes to mind? Oh, so we use Trello, um, which is like a productivity management tool and it is free, which is awesome. I want to say that they're now called Atlassian. They were bought by another company, but if you just look up Trello, oh, really? it'll come up. Yeah, so Trello is, um, we used it to just sort of have a visual map of all of our projects. Uh, and the way it works is it lets you build little decks, like almost like decks of cards. So mm-hmm. we move all of our clients from like, you know, pending info to ready to design, to ready for a tech pack, ready for schedule, ready for payment. Um, And that enables us to like have a really good visual organization tool um, and also like keep our schedule right. So we, from the beginning, we let our clients know, like we function like a little deck of cards. So if you take a very long time to give me feedback, you're going to be at the bottom of my deck. And again, we're clear (laughs) and upfront about that. So there is no problem. No, that's good. Um, So yeah, Um, Trello is awesome. I love Trello. I love Trello too. Um, Something that I would recommend to you to you guys too, to check out. Um, cause we were using Trello too, and I still use it for some things, but there's a program called Asana. Um, you do have to pay for it, um, but it's a, um, a, a workflow project management system. And it's really awesome. And since you guys like work on a lot of projects, you guys might find it, um, even more helpful. Cause you can even see everything like on a calendar, you can assign different things to teams. So, like, it's just a little bit more robust. So oh, wow, I yeah. recommend looking into that. Yeah. A-S-A-N-A. Mm-hmm. I will definitely check that out. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, and so do you have any last bits of advice that the Gangstar listeners can take in um, before we, we end our call? Um, let me see. Uh, you know what? Self-care and taking some time off. Um, I know that being on social media and seeing other creatives in your field can be so daunting and so discouraging and make you feel so shitty. <laughs> um, but you have to realize like our, you know, our feed looks very busy, but we are not hustling and grinding 24 hours out of the day. You know, like mm-hmm. we take time off, we prioritize ourselves, our relationship, our family, our employees. We want to make sure that they don't get burnt out. You know, um, nobody here paints 12 hour days. Nobody here is designing 12 hour days. So just because somebody looks really busy doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, killing themselves to accomplish what they have and neither should you. Um, A happy creative, I think is a productive and awesome creative. So definitely prioritize um, yourself and don't let anybody else's success make you feel bad. I look at so many companies that make me feel bad. So um, I definitely don't wanna do that to anybody else. 
Mm, I love that. That's great parting advice um, to everybody listening. Make sure you go follow them on social media. Um, check out their website, check out their work, um, especially their TikTok, uh, because they do a lot of behind the scenes and you'll get visuals to some of the, the talking points that they shared um, on this podcast episode. Um, and it's just really cool. You even get to see like behind the scenes of how they paint their murals, tools they use and all of that. So make sure you go follow them, check them out. I have the links in um, the description and episode notes. Uh, Cynthia and Ben, definitely thank you so much for joining me and making this call happen. There was a lot to take away from everything you guys shared. Um, and I just appreciate you guys, you know, coming on, coming on the show. I'm so glad. Thank you. This is really fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes, and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDFs. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.